You're listening to an audio resource from Redemption Hill Church. This resource is not meant to be a replacement for participation at a local church, but an accessory to the care you're receiving from your own pastors. To learn more about Redemption Hill Church or to give to our ministry, visit redemptionhilldsm.org. After this, Paul left Athens and went to Corinth, and he found a Jew named Aquila, a native of Pontus, recently come from Italy with his wife Priscilla because Claudius had commanded all the Jews to leave Rome and he went to see them and because he was of the same trade he stayed with them and worked for they were tent makers by trade and he reasoned in the synagogue every Sabbath and tried to persuade the Jews and Greeks When Silas and Timothy arrived from Macedonia, Paul was occupied with the word, testing to the Jews that the Christ was Jesus. And when they opposed and reviled him, he shook out his garments and said to them, Your blood be on your own heads. I am innocent. From now on, I will go to the Gentiles. And they left there and went to the house of a man named Titius, Justus, a worshiper of God. His house was next door to the synagogue. Crispus, the ruler of the synagogue, believed in the Lord together with his entire household, and many of the Corinthians hearing Paul believed and were baptized. And the Lord said to Paul one night in a vision, Do not be afraid, but go on speaking, and do not be silent, for I am with you, and no one will attack you to harm you, for I have many in this city who are my people. And he stayed a year and six months, teaching the word of God among them. But when Galileo was proconsul of Achaia, The Jews made a united attack on Paul and brought him before the tribunal, saying, This man is persuading people to worship God contrary to the law. But when Paul was about to open his mouth, Galileo said to the Jews, If it were a matter of wrongdoing or vicious crime, O Jews, I would have reason to accept your complaint. But since it's a matter of questions about words and names and your own law, see to it yourselves, I refuse to be a judge of these things. And he drove them from the tribunal, and they all seized Sosthenes, the ruler of the synagogue, and beat him in front of the tribunal. But Galileo paid no attention to to any of this. This is the word of the Lord. Amen. You may be seated. Thanks for standing for the reading of God's word. And, and uh, before I get into it, I just want to say, hey, thanks for being flexible once again. Um, and, and during this unique season, you know, meeting in the park and continuing to do so f- uh, through September. Uh, Lord willing, if it doesn't rain or uh, the weather allows us to continue to meet. So I just want to say thank you, Redemption Hill Church. You know, we planted this church and... I've said at the beginning, flexibility is one of the keys, and (laughs) 
didn't imagine that would be, uh, continue to be one of the keys, you know, going forward, especially in light of uh, COVID-19. Uh, before I get into the passage today, I just want to give you a heads up about a, a couple sermon series that are kind of on my radar. So if you're thinking, hey, what, what, what can we expect between now and um, the end of the year? We're going to pause the book of Acts in a few weeks, and I'm going to start a short sermon series called One Big Story. And the premise of it is that we're going to talk about the fall. We're going to talk, excuse me, talk about creation, fall. We're going to talk about redemption and then future restoration. Uh, the reason why we're going to talk about one big story is that we want, to get, we want to get a good idea what God is doing as we look at the Bible and read the scriptures. It's going to have very much a biblical theology feel. So if you're wondering, like, how does everything fit together, you know, as we read the book of Acts, this short sermon series, the one big story, will, will kind of help you understand how we fit into this greater narrative, this greater story. After that, and then three weeks leading up to Election Day, I'm going to do a sermon series on God, government, and the gospel. It's quite poss- possible half of you leave after that sermon series, but here's my, here's my heart behind it. It's simply this. We need to get our hearts ready. We, we all go through this every four years. Politics is divisive, and as Christians... Uh, we, we, we want God to be working in our hearts, not only when you go into the voting booth, that's what you choose to do, but afterwards as well, because we know afterwards people are going to be upset, and then you get on social media, and you, you, you know half of the country is going to not like what's going on. And as Christians, I think we, God calls us to love well dis- despite the circumstances. And so we're going to do some heart checks as we talk about God, government, and the gospel and uh, by the way, I'm not going to tell you who to vote for. It's not how I roll at all. Um, I want you to seek the scriptures, and I want you to pray. And also, I believe that we all have a conscience we all need to um, listen to. So that's all kind of on the horizon. So we're obviously back in the book of Acts here. Sermon series called The World, Tup- the World Turned Upside Down. Part of the reason why this sermon series is called The World Turned Upside Down is because we read and acts individual lives, families, <laughs> communities are wholly transformed through faith in the, through faith in the gospel of Jesus Christ. It's, it's crazy. You just, you just keep flipping the pages in the book of Acts. That's what we continue to see. Lives are transformed. Families are transformed. How whole households are being baptized. People are coming to faith in droves. And we fit in that story. Uh, Since the fall, Genesis 3, God has been on a massive rescue mission to see His image-bearing people redeemed and restored. And the primary way God's rescue mission takes place is through people like you. You and me. We are the means, we are the tools in which God uses for his rescue mission to take place. If you have been redeemed and you have hope for a full and final restoration because of Jesus, God uses you to tell others about God's rescue mission. And as we're going to see today, the key ingredient to being a part of God's rescue mission is faith. Faith that it is God who saves. So I'm going to briefly pray, and then we'll 
dive right into Acts 18, verses 1 to 17. Heavenly Father, once again, we come wanting to submit to your word. We come under your word, wanting it to instruct our heart and to continue to transform our lives. Lord, we want to be used by you. And as we're going to see today from your word, um, we, we want to have the faith to share well to others who don't know Jesus the glorious message of the gospel. So by the power of the Spirit, we trust that you are here indeed working in the heart of every single believer. So come, instruct our lives and our hearts in Jesus' name. Amen. All right, evangelism. Telling other people about Jesus is, as you know, one of the dominant themes in the book of Acts. No matter what else you think about Acts, you cannot get away from the subject of Christians telling other people about Jesus Christ. And of course, because I believe God's word continues to speak to us, we are called to carry on the word that we read in Acts. Here's the question I want to ask you all. If God calls us to tell others about Jesus, why are so many Christians hesitant to do so? What keeps Christians from sharing the good news? What is preventing you from sharing the gospel? I, mean, I think it's a fair question. I think if you even did a diagnosis of your own heart, you could ask that question and be like, whoa, I remember that time. I mean, if I'm being honest, uh, while I'm more extroverted than, than most people, I have found myself in situations where I knew God was calling me to share the gospel, but I was like afraid. Or I didn't know what to say. There, there was, I hesitated, or there was some type of barrier, and I'm like, I know God's calling me to do this. Why didn't I not do it? And oftentimes I'm doing that in retrospect. For as much as I can like, run my mouth, <laughs> there have been times I did not know what to say and why. Why? Why the hesitation? So my aim this morning is to show you again from Acts 18 that you're actually free to share the gospel without fear and without hesitation because of the sovereign election of God. That's what we see in Acts 18. You are free to tell others about the good news of Jesus Christ with absolute freedom. There's nothing holding you back. You can share the gospel knowing at the end of the day, it is God and only God who saves. This also means you and me are not a savior. That should be freeing. Parents, you are to teach your children about the Lord. But remember, you cannot save your kids. When you go to work, right? God's calling you to be an ambassador in, in the workplace. But you are not your co-worker's savior. When you're at work, God calls Christians to model Christ and to share the gospel, but it's the work of the Holy Spirit and not you to regenerate a cold, dead heart and make it alive for Christ. You know, anyone in this park, right, you could be hearing my words. 
cannot be saved by my mere words, right? Just not by listening. But they can be saved because God extends his merciful hand upon him. What I am not saying is that my words do not have an impact in God's redemptive plan. They have an effect to the degree the Holy Spirit uses them to reach a heart with the gospel of Jesus Christ. Here's what we need to know about sharing the gospel. The Christian witness, your Christian witness, is built upon the character and promises of God and not upon your personality, your temperament, your good looks. Like a lot of good-looking people out here, right? Eloquent speech or flattering words. If this is true, if your evangelism and the results of your evangelism are dependent upon God from start to finish, you, Christian, are the freest person to tell others about our great Savior, Jesus Christ. So here are two verses from this passage that I think capture God's perspective and I think should be our perspective for evangelism. It's the latter part of verse 9 and then going into verse 10. It is these words, I'm just going to like hone on, I'm going to take, we're gonna, we, got, we got Acts 18 verses 1 to 17, but like a spotlight, I'm just putting on these two particular verses. The end of verse 9 and verse 10. It's what the Lord says to Paul. Here it is again. Do not be afraid. But go on speaking, and do not be silent, for I am with you, and no one will attack you to harm you, for I have many in this city who are my people. So, we've got several clauses in this passage, and I'm going to explain every clause in this passage to show you that it is God who saves And it is also God who uses you to be a part of his mission to see the gospel go to the ends of the earth. So first, you might remember from last week, Paul found himself in the great city of Athens. So here's some context where we were, were, how we got to where we're at. Athens was the intellectual center of the world in the first century. It was like Oxford University in the 19th century. You could compare Athens Uh, In the first century to like Boston where you have MIT, Harvard, Boston College and a plethora of other colleges and universities within miles of one another. But as you turn the page from Acts 17 to Acts 18, Paul is now in the city of Corinth. If Athens is comparable to Boston, then Corinth is comparable to Las Vegas. You can read the letters of 1st and 2nd Corinthians to see what I'm talking about. The city of Corinth could have adopted the slogan, you know what it is, what happens in Corinth stays in Corinth. That's the kind of city it was. Because Corinth was morally, was a morally bankrupt city, God wanted to use Paul and his companions to share the gospel in that city. Further, and this is crystal clear in Paul's letters to the Corinthian church, God wants the people of Corinth to see an alternative to living the morally bankrupt life. 
If Paul is going to say the gospel not only transforms the human heart, but changes a life and how you live, then Paul needs to speak about the particular issues of their life. So if you read those particular books, First and Second Corinthians, that's kind of what you get. That's the vibe of the book. But before can Paul be like, hey, stop doing this, do this? We have here Acts 18. Acts 18 is why Paul is eventually able to write about an alternative way for the Corinthians to live. Don't live that Las Vegas style living, but let's live a godly life. But before that, we have this passage. So with that context in view, let's now look at the clauses in verses 9 and 10. I want to encourage you to allow principles drawn out from this passage to be applied to your life. Theology must meet practice. We want to have good theology. We want to live that out. The first clause, uh, the Lord says to Paul, do not be afraid. Do not be afraid. I need to step back because the son does not like this iPad. So what do we see there? Do not be afraid. God is basically telling Paul, hey, you can go. And oftentimes what we find in our own evangelism, fear is a barrier to sharing the gospel with other people. I mean, just evaluate your own life. What does prevent you? Is it fear? I should tell my neighbor about Jesus. But there's a hesitation. I was, um, when you go to my house, we go to Adele, there's this bank that has adopted a new slogan. And it's called Faith Over Fear. And they adopted that slogan right at the beginning of the pandemic. And you you start driving by and you see it on their sign. And I began to think, I can apply that to the pandemic, but I can apply that to everyday life. I need to have faith over fear. And then, I mean, here's the other thing about it all. Faith in what or faith in who? Faith in myself? Faith in you? Or faith in God. So it's not only that we need to have faith over fear. Do not be afraid, Paul. Do not be afraid, Sean Powers. But who's the object of our faith? Certainly should not be me. Should not be you. But it is the Lord. It reminds me of this idea of faith over fear. When I used to coach basketball, um, used to love coaching basketball, did a lot of that. Um, it seems like 15 years ago. And I remember a situation where we were down 10 with like five minutes left. And I call a timeout. And of course, as a coach, the players, the, four, the five players come around you and you get the, the people who are on the bench kind of on the outside. And I'm always looking into people's eyes and I'm, I'm seeing one of two things. This is what I'm looking for. Does this individual have the, f- have the faith to press on and fight? Or do I see fear in their eyes? If I see fear, the game is already over. And so as a coach, I'm trying to encourage them. You can have faith. You have faith in each other. You can have faith in yourself. Faith in me as a coach. We can do this as a team. Now again, the analogy breaks down quickly where our object is indeed God. But I think it says something. We don't want to have fears. We want to continue to fight and press in to have faith in what and who God is. His faithfulness to save. I think that's important.
we oftentimes do not move forward in sharing the gospel because we're held captive to fear. But God wants to set us free from that and have faith. The other clauses that we see in this passage is that we do not be silent, but we actually need to speak. That's actually an imperative in the Greek, if you read it. You need to continue to speak, Paul, and then do not be silent. Oftentimes, as Christians, we need to be reminded of that. We can't fall back. We need to press forward and, and, and speak. We must not be silent when it comes to preaching the gospel of Jesus Christ. Now, what I am not saying is that um, we want to be unthoughtful about preaching the gospel to our culture, right? We must use wisdom. We must be wisdom. We must be winsome, excuse me. But we must never be silent. But we must continue to speak. Never back down, but press ahead. I think it's a good diagnostic question, again, for our hearts. Are you speaking the good news? Or are you being silent? Even as we've seen throughout the book of Acts, persecution does come. It does come. It does impact Christians. But even in the face of persecution, will you continue to speak? I'm thinking about this, and if you know me, I'm a lover of church history. I love church history. And what do we see throughout all of church history? especially in moments of persecution. You see men and women who love Jesus, who are living for Jesus, who are speaking for Jesus, and then you find them, what, being persecuted. But even in the face of their persecuted, even if they're about to be burned, my mind goes to the 16th century, especially in England. Even when they're about to be burned, they look at their persecutor and still preach the gospel in love and with truth. My mind just gets animated thinking about them so they continue to preach and they will not be silent. The same is for us. Do not be silent, but continue to speak. Other clauses in this passage include this idea that in Corinth, God has already elected people to be saved. So he tells Paul, go into the city for there are already people in there. I take that to mean, Paul, you can go because as you preach the gospel, it will bear fruit. Now that does come, on, come to bear with what I call the doctrine of election. So I'm, I'm reformed in my soteriology. I believe in the doctrines of grace. And this particular passage is one reason why I believe in the doctrines of grace. So we can go and preach and do it with freedom. Why? Because God has already done the work. You, my friend, are supposed to be a tool in God's hand to preach the good news. So that takes off all the pressure, doesn't it? Again, it goes back to what I said earlier. We're not other people's saviors. And so pressure's off. It's on God. We're just simply to be used by Him. And so that brings up the next issue. What are we to do? It's this, to be faithful. 
not only to have faith that God is at work, but be faithful to Him as He calls us into particular arenas of life. Because He has already done the work. We just want to be faithful. That's what God is calling us to do this morning. To be faithful because He has indeed already saved His people. As we think about this particular passage, I'm reminded of um, John 10. If you go to the website at the hub, I got those preaching notes and some of the things I'm going to directly quote. Here's John 10, 14, 16. I am the good shepherd. I know my own and my own know me. Just as a father knows me and I know, my, I know the father and I lay down my life for the sheep. This is Jesus speaking. For I have other sheep who are not of this, not of this fold. I must bring them also and they will listen to my voice. You hear that? They will listen to my voice. So Paul, go ahead and preach in Corinth because as you preach and as I use you, they will listen. I've heard it, heard it asked, what's the point of telling people about Jesus if God has already elected his people, right? It's a fair question. Answer, I've said it already, you and I are instruments or tools in the hand of God who is kind and gracious. Paul was called to be faithful to the word of God. We are called to be faithful to the Word of God. And as we are faithful, we experience the joy of being on God's mission to see His people saved. So you can see from Acts 18, you are free to share the gospel without fear. You are free to tell others about the good news of Jesus Christ with freedom. And you can share the gospel knowing at the end of the day, at the end of the day, God is the only one who saves God is simply saying to you, hey, put your name in the blank. Hey, Sean, come join me. Hey, fill in the blank. I want you to experience the joy of telling other people about my son Jesus. Hey, you know, fill in the blank again. I want you to be a part of the greatest rescue mission that this world has ever seen. So the question is, Will you join God? Let's pray. Father, we thank you for your word. We thank you for this particular word. That you are abundantly kind and gracious to us, and yet and you still call us out into the world. You call parents to tell children about Jesus. You call us in our workplaces to tell others about Jesus. You send us out into communities You send some to be missionaries all across this world to tell others about Jesus. And we thank you that we are free from the pressure of feeling like it's us who needs to do it all. It's I who needs to do it all because we know it is ultimately you, God, who saves. You've already done the work. We get the honor and privilege of joining you on your mission to reach people with the gospel of Jesus Christ. You're listening to an audio resource from Redemption Hill Church. This resource is not meant to be a replacement for participation at a local church, but an accessory to the care you're receiving from your own pastors. To learn more about Redemption Hill Church or to give to our ministry, visit redemptionhilldsm.org.